Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Journey Through Life podcast. This is Justin Barton, the host of the Journey Through Life podcast, which used to be known as the Know and Do podcast. Well, today I am beyond excited, and I know I say this almost every week, but I'm super excited about this episode, a conversation I have with James Lehman. Now, James is somebody who is one of the first personalities that I recall being pretty powerful when my family moved to the Spokane area about four years ago. He is a youth mentor, but at that time he was helping with the Mount Spokane High School marching band and the entire band program, and he had a great influence on my oldest son, Josh, and I took the opportunity to reach out to him and see if he wanted to have this conversation with me, and it really was I think, a very well-timed request. It was something that it appears turned out to be very important to him, and it was also super meaningful to me. As I was going through and editing this podcast, I was thinking of what to entitle it, and there were so many powerful and meaningful one-liners that he shared during this that it was really a battle within myself. I ended up naming it kids these days. And I think you'll understand why, but I think there are so many other fantastic lines and things that he said and shared during this conversation that could just as easily been the title and very meaningful title of this episode of the Journey Through Life podcast. Now, before we get started on this conversation with James, uh, I need to take care of some housekeeping. First of all, if you have not yet subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast and you're just clicking on this through Facebook or Instagram or through somebody else's recommendation, please scroll down to where you're listening to this and subscribe to it. You can pick up the Journey Through Life podcast through virtually every single podcasting platform out there. Just search for Journey Through Life podcast. Look for the um, art the picture that looks like a that is a sailboat in a sunset and subscribe to it so that way you can hear every episode that I release on a weekly basis also like us on Facebook and on Instagram follow us and check out the website it's where I archive all of the different um, episodes where I've got kind of a blog type setting where if you want to comment you can if not don't worry about that just check it out you can also link to our partners there at the website and go directly to um, those places to look at that. Speaking of our partners, let's talk about that real quick. I'm super happy and excited and grateful for our first um, partner that we've ever worked with here with the Journey Through Life podcast, and that's A Life Untold. Now, A Life Untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for everyone. In fact, my mother's doing it. She's getting closer to being done, and I'm really happy that that's the case. I look forward to seeing the finished product. Now, all you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book right to your door. It makes for a great gift to a loved one in your life or will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something your family will treasure for generations. 
Now, I'm grateful to announce that listeners to the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using code Justin at checkout. You can find all the details on their website at www.alifeuntold.com or you can look it up at jtlpod.com and look for the partners page on the JTLpod website. Now, what am I going to do with this copy, this hardbound book that my mother is putting together of her own life? I'm going to put it in a place of honor. And that place of honor is going to be a floating shelf. Um, I love these floating shelves. They look awesome. They're stylish. They're beautiful. They are um, high-quality, solid wood shelf that looks like it's basically just floating on the wall because you can't see any hardware. Now, that hardware that you can't see is super strong, super heavy-duty, and it is from Shepherd Brackets. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Shepherd Brackets. I invite you to go to www.shepherdbrackets.com, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D is how you spell Shepherd, and then check out the revolutionary design that Shepherd Brackets invented and manufactures right here in the USA with high-quality, heavy-duty materials. Now, Shepherd Brackets has teamed up with R&T Home Decor to make floating shelf kits that come complete with a solid walnut, alder, white oak, or poplar shelf that has been completely finished with zero VOC finish and has been drilled, routed, and prepared to fit perfectly with a Shepherd Bracket of the same size. It's a beautiful product and a beautiful partnership. And now the Journey Through Life podcast has teamed up with them to give you, the listener, a great deal on very high-quality product that will beautify your home or office and stand the test of time. Go to shepherdbrackets.com or jtlpod.com and check out the shelf kits and then use promo code JTLPOD5, the number 5, at checkout to save 5% on your order. Once again, go check it out at shepherdbrackets.com and use promo code JTLPOD5 at checkout to save 5%. Now, on to this conversation with James Lehman. I'm happy about this. And at the end of it, we're going to get a little story that was written by his mother that you will learn a lot about in here in the In Their Own Words segment. Just a quick heads up, I was not very clear in the first question I asked James, and so it may come across as a little bit odd, the answer, but it turns out really good and ties in very well to the rest of the story. Enjoy. This is a good one. So I'm here with James Lehman, and I'm really excited to sit down and have this conversation with you, James. So tell me a little bit about um, the things that make you tick. The things that make me tick. I think just people who are just rude and and for no reason or negative for no reason at all. I Mm -hmm. think negative is easy in life. I think it's just really easy just to to be negative about anything. Mm. And I think it takes work to be positive or to look at things from a a much more like positive lens. I think that Mm. takes work and you got to put work into it. Like, yeah, I'm going to look past things. So I think people who are just live in a world of just negativity for no reason whatsoever. Like yeah. that, that, that gets me. It gets you a little bit. So what makes you go? What, what gives you motivation and, 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 and drive people? I, yeah. I mean, I, I think people are some of I think people just globally are the most fascinating. I don't want to say things, but, but for lack of a better word, the things in the world, because yeah. we come with so many unique stories and perspectives and, and, and things that, that make us who we are. And, and, 
So getting to know people really well and seeing them find things that they love and are mm. passionate about and seeing them just being, I think is just one of the coolest things ever. I love just watching people just be. And yeah. I, I think it's one of the most just pure things to watch and experience ever. And so um, I, I just love that. Very cool. So, so looking back at your life, as mm-hmm. you go back to your childhood, mm-hmm. what is a time when you realized in yourself you found something that you were passionate about and you became maybe an entity unto yourself, I guess? So, you know, I was, I was adopted okay. and, and, and um, my mom then adopted two other kids, which became my brother and sister. Oh. So white single parent in the 80s adopting three black kids oh. was just, you know. Yeah. I think now... So she, we, she was a single parent. Single parent, yeah. Wow. So I think we see that more prevalently now mm-hmm. or, it's just, or just widely more publicized now. But in the 80s and early 90s, not so much. Right, right. Uh, but I was the oldest. And then we moved to this really cool neighborhood in Spokane. And the house right next to us, they moved in a month after we did. Mm. They also had adopted kids Uh but i was the oldest kid in our neighborhood and so we had these four houses just boom 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 of all these kids kind of ranging in like this age range but i kind of became the inherent i don't want to say leader but i did become like the go-to like leader of of watching out for all the kids Mm. we would all walk to school together and it was okay james you're responsible for this brat pack of kids (laughs) right and and so i think even then, so childhood, I think just being given responsibility like that, mm-hmm. that wasn't just, hey, take out the garbage. Hey, clean your room. But watch out for people. Yeah. Look out for people. I, I, that always kind of stuck with me. And mm. um, I don't think I've ever stopped doing that. Mm. And so, I mean, that started once again, elementary, mm. you know, second, third, fourth grade of, hey, you need to watch out for these nine kids, these 10 kids, these 11 kids. Mm. Oh, oh, and, you know, I just did it. But as I've gotten older and reflected back on that time, I think that's definitely something that stuck with me hmm. um, till now. So so who was the person that you looked up to as somebody who watched out for you? Honestly, I think uh, every teacher and people, I don't want to just say teachers, but people in schools. Hmm. I was that kid who used to count down in the summer until school started oh, back wow. up. I was that kid. I, <laughs> I loved school. I didn't dislike summer vacation, but school, like, I just loved the whole entity of what school represented. Mm. Like, I just loved it. Like, when I was at home, I would play school with the neighborhood kids, and, mm. like, so, and we constantly <laughs> reenact that. So school always, there was something about it that I just, I just loved. So... I loved teachers. I was that kid who was always like stay after and help teachers oh. with things. Uh-huh. Um, I became friends with all the custodians and, and I always wanted to be involved. So I was a cafeteria mm. worker. Mm. I was a crossing guard. You know, right. I was band secretary or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the kid who brought the folders down to the office. So I was always pretty involved with mm-hmm. all aspects of school. And so all of those different people kind of, played a role in just like mentoring me hmm. and leading me. I was the library aide. And so mm-hmm. I just got to like help put books away, but even getting to hang out with the librarian, she taught me life lessons. The custodian taught me life lessons. Yeah. So all these different people. So I don't think there was one person, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, family and family friends and stuff, but right. 
I think when I really go back and look at where I've pulled different things from in life, a lot of it comes from just those interactions I had hmm. with with those people. Yeah. So, so you mentioned, you know, during summer vacation and on mm-hmm. weekends, whatever, you'd play school with yeah. your friends. Yeah. Who were you in the school? Teacher. You were a teacher? I was the teacher. Yeah. And I remember in second grade, we had to do a report on like what you report, but what you wanted to be when you grew up. And, mm-hmm. and you know, in second grade's interesting because so many, you know, your your ideas are just so like I want to be a sports player. I want to be in the NBA. And I remember a lot of my friends; those were their big ambitions. Like mm-hmm. I want to be in the NBA. And Michael Jordan was a thing at that time. Right, so, right. but I said no. I want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, really? I'm like, no. That's this is. I want to be a teacher. In 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 so, however that looks, I want to be a teacher. And my family's full of doctors and lawyers and all of and engineers. Right. And so, um, you know, they're like, you don't. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. And then um, it's like, no, this is my calling. And I, yeah. and I think I always knew that you know the education system in, in school. Like I said, like I loved it. So however I could be involved with that, like that was the end goal. Ah, very cool. Um, I want to come back to that in a few minutes, yeah. but I want to go back to you said that you were adopted by mm-hmm. a single mother, a yes. single white mother who yeah. adopted three uh-huh. black children. Yeah. Tell me about how that how that dynamic worked in your family life mm-hmm. be having a single mother raising you and and I guess race is some aspect to yeah. that I uh, and and how that affected you socially outside of your family too I mean I think for us once again that that family that lived right next door I think we thought it was normal mm-hmm. because we're like oh the neighbors are doing it mm-hmm. and you know, we went to that school and there was a, two other families that had that. So for us, mostly I thought it was like the most normal thing ever. Okay. You know, I thought babies came from airplanes from oh, the longest okay. time, you know, just because, you know, that's yeah. how we got my brother and that's exactly. how we got my sister. And so I thought that's just kind of how my mind went to it. It makes it tough not to have that conversation when your mom would come to school well, she's white. Yeah, that's my mom. You know, so mm-hmm. that conversation never did not exist in my daily, like, nope, yep, that's my mom. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I'm adopted. Yeah. No, that's, yes, that's my brother. No, we're not biological, mm-hmm. but he's my brother. Right. Yes, that's my, you know, just from a really young age, like, that just becomes, so I didn't think it was weird or anything, and I just thought this was normal. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to a different part of Spokane. Okay. We moved to the valley. Okay. And it was not the norm there. Mm. So it was like, oh, okay, this is and not that it was met with anything bad, but right. it, it was like, wait, what? It, mm. As opposed to when I was in elementary school, it was just, oh, oh, oh okay. okay. You know, it was a very different environment there where it became, okay, so wait, explain this to me. Mm-hmm. Wait. And then that's when I got into a lot of the conversations. I don't think it was people being rude. Per se, what you asked me, one of the first questions yes was what things just irk me. Right, right. And I, I think people are too readily throw the word racist around, mm. which irks me too. Yeah. Because I think there's just a lot of global misunderstanding and people don't want to misstep or say the wrong things. And But people would often say, well, you're not really black. Well, no, I am. <laughs> but, you know, I got it from both sides. I would have, you know, when I went to college, mm-hmm. I tried to join the Black Student Union and they told me, well, you're not really black so you can't really be a part of it so the, it's always been something that's yeah. that's been there i don't think it's like a 
affected me because it's been a constant conversation that I have. Mm. I want to say almost daily. So it's it's a very comfortable conversation. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Na- a natural conversation. Yeah. and so for me, it's like I I don't get worked up about it. It's like no, yeah, let's talk about it. like what do you want to know? Yeah, yeah, you know, like oh, I like that. You know, um, what questions do you have? What what pieces are you putting together? Mm-hmm. And then let me hear it from you, and then let me interject maybe where I, you know where right. I come from. I think people assume that people have ill intent more often than not. Mm. And I, once again, I'm, I always look at the positive. I'm like, no, they don't. This is not something that they've had to experience. Right. And so whether they've seen it in movies or TV shows and that's their only experience right. with it and that's where they're drawing from, okay, well, that's completely different than actually living it. So let's have right. a conversation. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, I think it's a really cool way of looking at things. So often... I or others go right to, you know, when somebody yep. questions something about me, about whether it's a belief system, yeah. whether it's a race, whether mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. immediately my brain can go, all right, yep. get on the defensive. Yeah. I'm going to come back at you. 100%. Whereas I love how you said, you know what, let me try and see where this person's coming from. Yeah. And then we can have a, a more open and honest conversation. Yeah. About it. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, man, I think it's just a lifetime of seeing people. Once again, I love watching people. And so mm-hmm. I think watching people either get defensive and me being just on the outside of a conversation, mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't, not that you always need to assume positive intent, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that's where they were coming from. And just me ob- objectively watching, mm-hmm. if you would have leaned into that conversation, you know, I believe people are tough to hate close up. So when you really right. can break down those barriers, and I always live through the life of, like, what can I learn from? Every, I, I can learn something from every single person I meet. Mm-hmm. My niece who's in kindergarten, she teaches me things, mm-hmm. right? And so right. I always try to approach it from, okay, look, what can I learn in this conversation um, that can help me maybe better articulate things or whatever? Or maybe we're just going to agree to disagree here, but that doesn't mean that I devalue their opinion. Right. And I love that. And I love what you said. I can learn something from everybody. And I want to jump into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have only had a couple of face-to-face yeah, interactions yeah, in yeah. our lives, but I've watched you on social media for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. I love some of the things you put out there. You'll, you'll put out this crazy, funny thing happened today in yeah. elementary yeah. band or yeah. whatever like that. Tell me about learning from these different, well, like you said, you learned from your, mm-hmm. you said your niece who's like yeah. in kindergarten. Yeah. Tell me about different lessons you've learned from kids, from people that you're like, huh, well, that's oh, way out of can, you know, way out um, of left field. I, there's a phrase that I say in, in my job now, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about. It's this phrase, kids these days. I, I, when I go in schools and when I work with kids, I say, how many of you have heard this phrase with something negative mm-hmm. attached to the end of it? Kids these days. And there's a, there is a palpable reaction when mm-hmm. I say it to kids. They're just like, oh. Okay, well, what things have you heard? Oh, that we're, you know, lazy, we don't care. But, you know, we could all sit here and just think of all those things. And then I'm like, no, I learn so much from them. Because the things that, the social pressures that they have to go through, not even close. I'm now pretty much a generation removed from them in school. But it's like, it's completely changed. But, you know, my niece that we talked about kindergarten we were talking this weekend and i'm like okay how has school been what have you learned and she's like well i've learned that if you're just really nice to people it goes a long way Hmm. and i'm just like yeah right 
Like, how awesome is that? That mm-hmm. here's a six year old articulating that. And it's just like, yeah, you're 100% right. And how often in the adult world we forget those tried but true, like just mm-hmm. little gems of knowledge. Yeah. And so I, I love that. Um, kids, no, I think if you just listen to kids, you can just learn so much. When I was doing the band thing, I used to love just at lunch, just sitting in in the room, just listening to their conversations mm-hmm. during lunch. Not in an eavesdropping way, but just listening to like where they're at in their lives and the cool things that they're talking about and the cool mm-hmm. things that they're passionate about. Right, the things that are important to them. Um, to me, like the, listening to the things that they talked about that they were passionate about made it easy for me then to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Just with other things. Hey, I heard you talk about this. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh, what? Really? No, like I heard you talk about it. Like, tell me more. And it, it made it so then I could establish a better connection with them, yeah. which would then, you know, hopefully carry through. So no, I just I just think that there's so much power with kids these days if we just listen to them. And I, and I think that that's a lost art. No, I like that. And I like, love that phrase, kids these days. So, so you take that and say, kids these days. Yeah. Are awesome. Yeah, you know, basically. Hundred yeah. percent. Um I was at a school last week and I had emailed the staff ahead of time before I went and I said, You're gonna finish this phrase kids these days mm. with something positive. Mm. Not trivial, but something positive. So at the assembly I you know, we were talking to the kids, how many of you have heard kids these days? Mm-hmm. And with something negative, every hand goes up. Yeah. And then I had put all those staff comments into a video and played it for them. Of like, well, just so you know, here are some positive things that people in your life believe about you. And you mm-hmm. could just see them being like, Mr. Smith thinks that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, they do. And I think even for the adults, it challenged them. Yeah. No, I, you need to do, think of something positive. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them, I couldn't include all the comments. Some of them were just... They just couldn't quite get do it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to put that one up there for them. Right. But this is your truth. Great. Mm-hmm. But I want them to see that there are adults. Specifically, I, they need to know that adults love and care about them. I love that. Well, so I, I know you as somebody who worked with the band. Yep. Uh, marching band mm-hmm. and, and band kids in high school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you do right now. So right now, I so our state, Washington State, we have a principals organization it's the professional principals organization that does all the professional development and support for principals okay underneath there there's like a bunch of different work teams there's advocacy there's equity there's work for assistant principals Mm -hmm. there's also student leadership and learning centers i work for the student leadership division of this principals organization We basically do all things student leadership in the state. So summer camps, working with advisors, working with students. And we've really blown that up. I think when people hear student leadership, they think ASB kids, ASB president, student council president. Mm. But really it's culture and climate in schools is really what we do through the lens of let's support students to help culture and climate in schools. Mm. So that's really what we do. And so I do a lot of workshops and keynote speeches and day-long programs and provide resources and write curriculum and just a whole bunch of things really to how can we make a day at school better 
for every student and adult mm. in the building. Really, like at the end of the day, that's my job. Yeah, We really tackle it from the student lens rather than the principal lens. Mm. So I get to hang out with kindergartners through 12th graders yeah. in different iterations kind of every day. So some days it's I'm just sitting at my computer writing emails and, <laughs> and corresponding with people. Some days I'm at elementary schools working with kindergartners and first mm. graders on being nice and like let's play some all-inclusive recess games and mm. let's teach you how to be nice on the playground. Yeah. Some days it's, okay, let me keynote speak in front of a high school of 1,800 kids about being kind and mm. the difference between kind and nice. And mm. sometimes it's, okay, I'm at a principal's conference and I'm speaking with principals about here's your students are your best tag team partners. Mm. You want a better school, better culture and climate, well, the kids are the biggest stakeholders there. So yeah. it's how, here's how we can empower them. So it's it's a lot of different hats that I wear, but it's it's incredible. So what is one or two um, instances where you've gone out to a school or to an individual and had an interaction with these, either an individual mm-hmm. or a group of people, and you've seen like a result from it, and you thought, wow, that was really cool. There was a school two years ago, and I was working with them for a week. And the second day, I'm like, hey, you know, the end of this week, I want you to connect with your principal back at your school. And they're like, we don't like our principal. Mm. We don't like our principal. I'm like, okay. The next day, brought up their principal again. We don't like them. We don't like them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next day, I'm like, okay, for two days now, all I've heard is you tell me you don't like your principal. Mm -hmm. So... I'm like, we're going to dig into that. Like, we're just going to spend some time on that. So the first thing I did is um, I pu- every public school in the state has a report card, which basically breakdowns demographics of the school. It breaks down who's on free and reduced lunch. It, mm-hmm. bre- it brings up graduation rates, how many teachers have master's degrees, how many actual kids go to your school. It's basically mm-hmm. just the data of the school. Okay. So I handed it out to them, and I said, before you even look at this, I just want to ask some questions. So don't look at this yet. Let's just mm-hmm. see how much you know. How many kids go to your school? And they gave me numbers, mm-hmm. all of which were wrong. Right. I said, what's your school's graduation rate? Mm-hmm. And theirs was 73%. All of them were thinking statistically way higher than mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, how many of your teachers have master's degrees? Mm-hmm. They had no idea. Right. And so we, how many of your school, how many students at your school are on free and reduced lunch, you know, low income, right? They gave me a number that was wrong. So they looked at it and, and they're like, whoa, I'm like, okay, 73% of your school is graduating on time. Mm -hmm. So then I kick three kids out of the room and they're like, why did you do that? I'm like, this is happening at your school right now. Mm. They're like, whoa, like they had never thought about it in that lens. Like Mm. when they, when can they come back? Like, I don't know. But right now, this is what's happening every day in your building. Mm. So then I was like, let's talk about your principal that you don't like. Right. Like, well, yeah, they came in in the middle of the year. All they care about is graduation rate. And I'm like, okay, well, do you, do you think now you have a better understanding? Why? So then I said, on a scale of one to five, one being you know nothing about this person other than they're your principal, and five, they're like your best friend. Mm-hmm. How well do you know your principal? And when we averaged their scores up, it came to a 1.3. Yeah. So, like, you don't even know this person. Mm-hmm. So you need to get to the human aspect of your principal first. 
So we're not even going to talk about you selling all the things that you want to do to change your school before you even sit down and have a conversation with your principal. What are their goals for your their, your school? Mm-hmm. If you don't know those, what are their visions? If you don't know those, then there's a disconnect. Yeah. So anyway, I challenge them to go have a meeting with their principal with nothing more than introducing themselves and having him introduce himself mm. and just meeting so that was in July. In September, I get a message from these kids. They're like, our principal is the coolest person ever. We met, we're met. we having monthly donut meetings with our principal, and it's awesome. And, mm. and we're totally on the same page. Their school's graduation rate is up. So, I mean, there's a tangible like yeah. thing that um, – and I've gone to that school now probably five or six times in two years, and mm-hmm. it's just – much better. They broke down that barrier. That's kind of the same concept of what you talked about earlier of seeing something and not immediately going at the knee-jerk reaction of this person's out to get me mm-hmm. or this person is just a bad person, yeah. whatever it is. It's getting to know them. I love I love that concept and that sounds like it's created a whole new culture. Now, was this group of kids that you were meeting with was this like the 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 student leadership okay yeah yeah and they didn't even know about their principal 100 percent. and that principal had a really difficult situation dropped in in the middle of the year yep came in in february and i'm like and when he and i talked he was like no i they brought me in because of the graduation rate Mm -hmm. and i'm like they didn't understand that his task from the district like you want to keep this job Mm-hmm. You need to go change the graduation rate. So yeah, of course he's going to come in there and say graduation rate. Yeah. Grad-, but you know, there's a disconnect, mm-hmm. and and I think without kids having that knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, in, in silence we create the stories in our heads. So I think the story that they created was, well, this person's just a jerk. Mm-hmm. And so when they sat in that meeting and had that conversation, and he unveiled, hey, my charge has been graduation rate. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, we learned that this summer. We learned that we're only at 73%. We had no idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did? You know. Yeah. So once again, in the silence, we create the stories in yeah. our heads. And the principal was probably thinking, oh, this student leadership that I've inherited here, they're just terrible. Yep. And when they came together, both sides yep. had a total change of heart, a total yeah. change of perception that brought everything together. I mean, it, it makes me just question, how often does that happen in life? Well, I think all the time. All I the think time. all the time. And I think it's, people ask, like, what my job is. And I'm like, if nothing else, it's for us to realize that we're humans first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everything else is second. Yeah. You know, I was talking with a group. Um, it was the Black Student Union at a high school in Everett. And they were talking and they kept using this phrase, well, they don't. Well, they don't. I'm like, who's they? Mm-hmm. Give me names. Like, well, you don't know. I'm like, I know, but but you keep saying they. Who mm-hmm. is they? Mm-hmm. Well, the football players. I'm like, okay, well, that's a, that's a big group. Mm-hmm. You have to humanize people, right? So it's James, who's goes to this high school, who's also a football player. Mm-hmm. I'm James first before I'm a football player. Right. You know, when I was working in the band world, it was always, well, them, mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. them. It's like, no, 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 stop. They have names. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many assemblies, at post-assemblies, I would listen to in the band room, mm. choir room. Kids would just complain about the assemblies. Well, they don't care about us. Well, who's they? Mm. 
And do they really not care about you? Because pretty sure you just performed in front of 10,000 people at a football game last night. Mm-hmm. Which would not have happened if there wasn't a football team. Mm. But also, you have to keep their people mm-hmm. who are struggling with the same things you do. They probably think that you hate them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when I would talk with some of the football players, like, oh, no, band kids hate us. Mm. I'm like, why? Well, you know, they think we're jerks. Well, are you? Names first, other than just, oh, the football players. <laughs> no, no. They have yeah. names. We, we as people compartmentalize because that's how our brains work. So we, we are just trained to put people into like their little like sub compartments mm-hmm. and just keep them there. Right. Because that's just how life works. And I think specifically from elementary school, as we get older and older and older, that just happens more and more and more and more. Right. So, so you said we're humans first. Mm-hmm. Define for me what it means to you to be human. I think knowing that I'm hardwired for struggle, that I'm hardwired to experience. It's the movie Inside Out. Like every person is hardwired for joy, anger, frustration, fear, and sadness, right? That that I think that when we all can accept that every single one of us walking the face of the earth is hardwired to experience all of those, sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same hour. And I think that when we see each other through that lens, it's like, oh, okay, you, mm. I can better practice empathy mm. um, and understanding, like, no, that that's a person, too. No, that's really good. That's something that I've really, um, it, it's really been an awakening for me over the last few years when I realized that everybody else is human, just like me, mm-hmm. with strengths and weaknesses, yep. just like me. Yep. And no matter what that person's position is in the hierarchy of life, they're just like me, and yeah. I'm just like them. We're just in different places, yeah. going through the same 100%. struggles. And, I mean, know? and that's why I love this podcast so much, and why I've enjoyed listening to it, because mm-hmm. it's you listen to these people share their stories. And I think one of the most powerful things, and I think we've seen it in, in a much different sense politically in the world, but there's power in saying, oh, me too. Mm. There's power, like, oh, I'm not the only one, mm. you know, and so I think the sharing of stories helps humanize people, like, okay, mm. I'm not the only one. I had a, I have a math and a reading disorder, mm. which I didn't find out about until college. Mm. It was always just, you need to try harder, you need to try harder. Then I got diagnosed in college, and was like, oh, everything makes sense now. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten older, and I've shared that with people, mm. like, hey, you know, I failed math in college. I failed math in high school, and I, you know, everyone just told me to just try harder. And hearing people be like, you know, I thought I was the only person who's had. Mm-hmm. And I said, share this in a principals meeting, mm-hmm. and a principals like, I've never even shared with my staff or students that I failed a class. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I share it all the time. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they can see me, and I would consider myself like I'm a successful adult, right? Like right. I can pay my bills, and I can do all those things that adults do. Mm-hmm. But I still had those hardships, which make me a person. Yeah. And I think when we reject those, there's a disconnect. Yeah. I think that's super important in life to find, you know, even even a mentor, even somebody yeah. that I almost hero worship. It's, to me now, it's a relief to find a chink in that armor. Yeah, you oh, know? 100%. 100%. Oh, I even like them even that much more now that I yeah. see that because yeah. I can relate a little bit more. And so I've know? tried to be very just, just in life, just very open and honest about 
struggles and hardships and and just things because I think specifically when we're talking about kids these days, which is where my world is, mm-hmm. I think that they live in a world that's so task oriented and less just feeling and being oriented. Mm. I mean, we're now asking eighth graders to have a high school and beyond plan. Mm-hmm. Where we're like, okay, you're 13, 14 years old. You now need to think about what you're going to do when you're 19. Right. I think about when I was 13 and 14. Like, <laughs> I don't even, college was not even like a thing. It was, no. oh man, oh my God, I think about high school. Like, mm-hmm. so we've, we've, we've been so task oriented with kids these days to think about, okay, what's your what's next? What's mm-hmm. your what's next? That, because of that, we've lost the spirit of just, of just of now, of just now, and just yeah. being and and living for today, and just yeah. it's okay. You're gonna have days where you struggle. I mean, it, there's not a day that goes by where I don't hear from a kid that I taught once or that I I'm around now. There's not a day that goes by where I don't hear from somebody who's having a hard day. Mm. Every three hundred and sixty five days a year, I hear from somebody who's just not at their best and so often my response is good like no that's okay because it means you're feeling yeah it means that you're experienced it Mm. means that you're it means if you weren't feeling that you wouldn't be living life yeah so i'm i'm happy that that's happening for you Mm -hmm. it not that the circumstances are there but it means that you're being so i have those conversations daily i i came up in my youth Mm mm-hmm and whether it was, you know, something my parents taught me or I just gathered from the guys around me or whatever, that feeling was lame. Yeah. That excelling was not cool. Yes. That, you know, these things. And, and it re- I allowed those things to really handicap me mm-hmm. for a long, oh. long time. Yeah. So, so that's a mountain that I have climbed my whole life, willingly or not. You know, you're mm-hmm. always moving forward, so you yep. always have to climb that mountain. I'm on the the downside of that where I now try to love feeling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't embrace, I mean, I try to embrace it, but yeah. sometimes I'm still like, uh, that's a little bit too close to the to the heart. Uh-huh. I need to push yeah. that away. But there are so many things now that uh, that I embrace that I fought for decades of my life. What is a mountain, as you look back, maybe not emotionally or anything like right. that, what's a mountain that you've climbed and are, are on the, the backside of that you look back and say, hey, I'm glad that's behind me. I'm glad I learned from it. Yeah, I, but, I uh, think self-acceptance. Hmm. I'm approaching 35, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like as soon as I got into my 30s, I really just, like, accepted this is me, right? Mm-hmm. This is James. Mm-hmm. Flaws, good things, whatever. But I think late teens 20s it was that constant like quest for okay so who who am i mm-hmm. <laughs> who is james mm-hmm. right um but i i think a lot of that was i want to say it was artificial and and mm-hmm. and let me be who i think other people want me to be mm-hmm. well who are those other people right <laughs> who are they who are they <laughs> exactly and um but i think by the time that i got in my 30s it was like I'm spending so much energy and there's only 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. I've got this much energy that I can spend on things. I want to spend it in the most productive, positive ways possible. Mm. Thinking of myself negatively and constantly thinking, what do other people want me to be like? That's a completely negative waste of energy. Yeah. And so I'm all about 
spending positive energy in the most positive, productive ways as much as I possibly can. So mm-hmm. I think my big thing has just been accepting, like, this is James, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, like, I'm quirky. And I think one of the big things is I'm an introvert. You know, huh. I can play an extrovert on TV. Yeah. That is what I like to tell people. Yeah. Like, when I'm teaching and stuff, I can be extroverted as the day is long. Mm-hmm. But truly, I am an introvert. Like, my when quiet, you get home. When you... I get home, I am... Yeah. And it's just like I can just be. Um, but I think it's taken me until kind of the last five years to just fully be like, no, like that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Mm. You know, so I would go hang out with friends and stuff and I would just drain myself mm. because it's like, no, no, I need to like recharge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think the moment of realization was? Can you look back and see a, an interaction or a moment where you went, you know what? It's okay to be me. I remember distinctly having a conversation with a kid in the band room at, at Mount Spokane High School. Mm-hmm. And I was they were struggling. Mm-hmm. And it was after a practice and they were just, you know, people don't like me and people don't like... And it was... I said all the positive things that you would tell somebody in that instance. Of, mm-hmm. well, who, why are you trying to care what other people think, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. so have this great conversation with this kid, and they you could say they felt better by the end, and it was driving home that I'm like, I'm a hypocrite. Mm. It was that it was that moment driving home that I'm like, I am a hypocrite. Mm. I just had this conversation with this kid, which I think was a positive conversation, but I'm not living that. Mm. And it was like that that night was just this, okay. I need to live it too. I mm. can't preach this. I can't say this. I can't be off, truly authentic if I just say that and then go home and do the exact thing that I told this kid not to do. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. Hmm. So for me, it was just this, and I remember just it just felt like this huge weight just got lifted off my mm. shoulder. It was this weird transformative moment, but it was yeah. just like, okay, no, this is, and I remember the next day I just felt completely hmm. I just felt completely different and I don't think I've ever looked back. That's really cool. So, so as you're preaching at this kid, I guess, you know, trying to lift this kid yeah. up in your own mind, as you reflected on it, you were telling yourself, I was telling that to things. myself a hundred percent. It was like one of those conversations you have in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was driving home that as I was replaying that conversation, like, okay, did I say everything? It was like talking into a mirror, you yeah. know, that's like talking to myself and, mm-hmm. you know, and now when I go out and talk with people, I tell them like everything I'm about to tell you is all stuff that I'm working on too. Mm. I am not a perfect human being. Right. I am flawed just like every single person. Mm-hmm. I still, I make more mistakes than any person ever, but I'm working towards these same things that I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. So as I'm telling you, I'm also reminding myself. So I think that, once again, that humanizes me from the get-go when I'm talking with people. That, mm-hmm. okay, he's not perfect. Yeah. He's owning that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he's working on it. Okay, so I can work on it, too. I was talking to somebody. It's been in the last eight or nine months. I went. I attended a kind of a conference-type thing oh, cool. of, a, of a coaching yeah. session-type thing. So the coach that was up there, he was sharing his own weaknesses. Mm-hmm. He was sharing experiences that he had in his own life where he his whole world fell apart yeah. and now he's building it back up, you know? And the guy sitting next to me was like, 
I don't think I can be coached by somebody who's not doesn't have their life put together. It's like that was me just a couple of years ago saying those exact same things. Yep. If somebody's not perfect, yes, I should not learn anything from them yeah. because <laughs> and here I am looking at myself, I'm a train wreck, you know. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's a great realization to have, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I now I, I meet these kids. I, I like to say I'm like a fun uncle. I come in for a day, do the thing, and then like and split, <laughs> right? But sometimes I get these really cool, meaningful conversations. And I was at a school in May, and there was a young man who you could tell has probably never been given a compliment by an adult in his life. Mm. You know, shoulders were just hunched over and just, mm-hmm. and you know, we had this conversation afterwards because he came by and was just like, hey, thanks for today, which you could tell was a meaningful thing. And I said, wait, 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 let's hold up. And then mm-hmm. we're just talking. And, you know, I believe that all kids can teach us adults. He's like, I've never taught an adult anything. Mm. And I'm like, why do you say that? Like, why do you think that? He's like, I'm a screw up. Mm. I'm a mess up. I fail classes. Mm. And I said, okay, so you fail classes. Tell me, like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And I asked him who he was just six consecutive times. Mm. So who are you? Um, you know, my name is whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, who are you? You can't, you just asked me that. I'm like, I know, but answer it again. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a student. Okay, great. Who are you? Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a brother. Okay. Difficult home life, really caring for his siblings. I'm like, so you, what you just told me was mm-hmm. that you're caring for your siblings. So I learned today how important it is to care for your siblings i'm like here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go call my siblings tonight because Mm. of you Mm. and just thank them for being them so don't tell me that you have not taught an adult anything and then tomorrow i'm going to be at a different school and i'm going to share this interaction like so you can just see that Mm. happen but there's somebody right there who i don't think anybody's ever given him a compliment or thinks that he has the power to motivate and just out of curiosity do you still have contact with that kid how's he doing awesome yeah so that was in may Mm -hmm. he was a sophomore so he's going into his junior year Mm -hmm. um is tried out for the musical and i was like i what (laughs) when i asked you who you were you didn't say a singer he's like and he's like well (laughs) no but there i have a few friends who are doing it and Mm -hmm. They've always asked me before, and I always said no. And I'm like, okay. So he went and auditioned, mm-hmm. made it. Sweet. So I'm like, okay, dude, I'm coming. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to come to, you know, one of the shows. And he's like, really? I'm like, of course I'm going to. Sweet. So, I mean, I, you know, once again, I, everyone's a mess in right. some way. And anybody who's not kidding themselves. But I just think that there's beauty in finding those cool moments with every, And there's those moments with everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love my job, just because... That's so awesome. It's all about the stories. James, who are you? Well, I mean, if we're going to start at the surface level, you know, mm-hmm. James, but um, I'm a, a friend. Um, I'm a confidant. Mm-hmm. I'm a listener. I, I think that at the end of the day, I'm a really good listener. Mm-hmm. And I've I've really have worked hard on the art of just listening Mm. and not listening to respond, but just being in that moment and listening, which I think is something that I think it's a skill. that's a lost art. I really do. Cause Mm. I think 
we're in a quick fix society, right? Like you can Uber Eats food now. Like so, so everything is instantaneous. Mm-hmm. But listening is not, and so it goes against the grain of what society is because it's a slow, methodical process just to listen to people. And so, so many of my days is just listening to different stories and different mm-hmm. people tell me about their school. And it'd be easy for me to just be like, okay, got it. Yep, I'm just going to come to your school and do my usual thing. Mm-hmm. Done. Pay me and I'm out, right? Yeah. Instead of, no, what is, talk to me about your school. Mm. What is going on? Because no two schools are the same. And no two experiences in a school are the same. So I could talk to person A that goes to school A and they could tell me one thing. And I could talk to person B who goes to school and they're going to tell me two completely different things. Mm. Two completely different stories about being in that same school. Right. So I'm a listener. I'm, I want to say I'm a student of life in that I try to learn as much as I can every single day. So I drive a lot. In in the two years that I've had this job, I've driven over 100,000 miles in the state. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot. Just I want to learn just as much as I possibly can. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm a person. I'm just a person who's trying to do the best with what they have Mm -hmm. every single day and doing my best. And, you know, there's a cool thing about the the four agreements, but... the fourth agreement is do your best, but it's going to change every single day what that is, depending on different factors. But I'm just doing the best that I can every single day. And so when I'm sick, <laughs> my best is not going to be the same as right. when I'm not. But mm-hmm. understanding that, okay, on this day, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, I think that whole mindset is just that has helped me a lot, too. I love that. Um, and I'm going to ask you about the four agreements. That's a new concept to me. Yeah. And trying to make the assumption that everybody around me is trying to do the best they can yeah. with what they have today is yeah. also a powerful thing. Oh, it's huge. And it's really easy for, you know, teaching marching band. That's tough because, yes, they're doing the best they can, but I need it to be at this level. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I get that you're doing your best, but be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it, that's kind of one of those arbitrary things. Like, I'm not talking about you as the person. I'm mm-hmm. talking about you as the performer. Right. As a performer, I need you to be better. As a person, I know you're trying your absolute best. So mm-hmm. I always tried to humanize it as much as I possibly could. Mm. But it's that that's one of those tricky times where it's like, yeah, okay, but be better. The, you know, that before I get to the four agreements, mm-hmm. that takes me back, as we've talked about that, a, a painful memory from my life just hit me. It was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, I was working. I had a coworker working with me, and, and we were just talking about life and about mm-hmm. experiences that we had that were similar. And he said something that was totally inaccurate. Yeah. And and we had come from fairly similar backgrounds. And I said, uh, that is not right. Yeah. You're pretty stupid. Yeah. And I did not make the assumption that, you know, he was coming at from it from a different angle. Yeah. And I remember the, the, his countenance just totally fell. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were having a meaningful uh, conversation and I said that and just everything changed at that moment. And I think our relationship permanently changed yeah. from that. You know, I, I, I still have very peripheral uh, relationship with him, but it's, yeah. It's a totally different thing, and I I think I need to make amends for that. It just came back to me. So 
man, that's that's tough, uh, tough stuff there. When when it's always painful to have those types of things. No, but it's and, good to realize um, it and try and make things better. You know, and I'm, uh, I think that I started in 2019 was mm-hmm. if somebody pops in my head for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I always send them a message. Mm. No, that's good. And it's been a unique journey this year. Like I'm just, you know, I'll just be driving and somebody from high school will just randomly, a memory from high school will just pop into my head. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, later I'll just be like, Hey, so-and-so just want to let you know, I was just thinking about you today. Yeah. Just popped in my head. Hope all is well. It's shocking how much people are just like, the number one answer I hear more than anything else is you have no idea how much I needed that. Mm. I would say that that is 90% of the responses mm. that I get. And it's just like, it's so simple on some levels just to connect with people. But it's also, we're f- afraid of rejection. Because I remember I told my sister that. And my sister, we're very different in the sense that she is not, I'm not an extrovert, but I, I love connecting with people. Mm-hmm. She is an introvert who is like, I've got my five people, I'm good. Yeah. And she's like, you're going to just, like, message people? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, what if they say that you're a freak? <laughs> I'm like, they're probably going to. But I don't care. Yeah. Because if if, if the worst that's going to happen is they're just going to be like, well, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, then that's weird. Yeah. But for me, I know when somebody messages me out of the blue, much like you did, which was just, like, it made yeah. my compl- it made my week. It was just like, it feels good. Mm. And I think once again, negative is the easy emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think it's way more challenging to say, Hey, this was a really meaningful thing. Mm. The easy thing is to be like, well, that's weird. Exactly. Cause negative is easy. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. So tell me about these four agreements you alluded to yeah. um, a few minutes ago. So I was in, choir in college and our choir director gave them to us and it he found them somewhere but there are four agreements and i'm trying to remember all of them but yeah. one of them was be impeccable with your word okay and one of them was the one about doing your best and um i think the other two are about being truthful and i can't remember the fourth one but they just like if you just google the four agreements they're so right. powerful and they're so simplistic mm. and i just in my office right now, they're hanging up there mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, if I can do these four things, you know, I was a musician counting to four is what you do, right? right so right. <laughs> if I can do these four things every day, mm-hmm. then I'm doing the absolute, then I am doing the best that I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Am I keeping my word? Am I, oh, so one's like not making snap judgments about mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, am I doing those things? Because sometimes I'll get emails and it's just like, oh. What did they mean by that? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me stop. Where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's probably where they're coming from. Okay, now now let me respond through this lens. And it, mm-hmm. so it's helped me. Um, I've embraced that pause mm. just in life. Before I re- respond, specifically if it's something that catches me off, the knee-jerk reaction is just to respond right away. Like, what do you mean? Instead, mm-hmm. But now it's like I embrace the pause. Okay, stop. Mm-hmm. What is the story that they are telling? Great. Now, you know, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. who's just a spirit god to me. The, you know, the one thing that I've learned from her is, well, the story I'm telling myself. That's been a great way for me to respond when things catch me off guard is, mm-hmm. okay, well, I hear you. 
the story I'm telling myself is this. Mm-hmm. Where am I misstepping? Because then, if they did not mean for it to sound that way, it's an immediate, whoa, whoa okay, sorry, I, mm-hmm. I did not mean for this. Right. Oh, oh, cool. Okay, now, if it's, no, this is what I meant, then it's, okay, let's 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 lean into this and have mm-hmm. that conversation. But yeah. I've embraced that pause this year of, mm, stop, James, don't just react. Mm-hmm. How do you do that in a live conversation, though? How do you embrace the pause if you're having a face-to-face like this? Yeah. And somebody says something that just triggers, you know, yeah. a, a reaction. How do you embrace the pause without going, just a second, I got to calm down for just a second and then get back to you? you know? Honestly, I think the biggest thing I do is I try to listen the entire way through. Mm. Because so often I think our responses come before the person's even done talking. Mm. So we have not gotten all of the information. We've heard one thing. And I heard a speaker talk about it, that if we look at our arm and our where our armpit is, is where somebody starts talking mm-hmm. and our fingertips are where they stop talking. Right. Statistically, before you get to the elbows where most people have stopped actively listening mm. and they're already thinking about their response. Their response. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard that, it was like, OK, you're right. How many times have I had communication failure with people because I have not listen the entire way through. Yeah. I've grabbed onto one sentence, one <laughs> thing, and I've negated 98% of everything else. Yeah. So in live conversation, I've really tried to practice just the art of let me listen to everything more so than, oh, got an answer for that. Right, right. Huh. And even then, I think you hear him from the armpit to the, to yeah. the fingertip and even then, if I'm I'm trying to put myself in the shoes mm-hmm. of somebody who's doing this actively, if I still want to react in a, something yeah. that I heard up here, mm-hmm. maybe asking another follow-up question. I ask a lot of follow-up. I ask yeah. a lot. Or one thing, some things that I say a lot is, so I heard you say, mm-hmm. what did you mean by that? So that gives me more time to formalize mm-hmm. my answer. Or, hey, thank you for sharing. There are a few things that I that you said that I'd just love for you to speak to a little bit more. So once again, it's giving me more time and it's giving, okay, I heard this one thing. Maybe they didn't mean for it to sound that specific way. So let me, in in some ways, give them a redo. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Without them realizing I'm giving them a redo. <laughs> and if it comes out the same way, okay, then now I can ask that. But if they say it in a completely different way, which happens more often than not, mm. if it's something that's, rubs me the wrong way. It's like, right. oh, 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 okay. So I, I'm also just, I, I love asking questions and I love just leaning in and just kind of being an active listener mm. rather than a passive listener. I like that. Tell me a little bit about your, your mom who adopted you. I yeah. know she passed away sometime in the, I don't know how long ago. It was. 11 years. Oh, it's been 11 years been, ago. Yeah. But she had a huge impact on your life. Yeah, I can tell just yeah. from post. So tell me a little bit about her. What? Okay. What made? You so she was. I mean, she was a um, college English professor, the oldest of five kids. Mm-hmm. Super smart. Super smart. Got married. It didn't work, and then had a bunch of health challenges. Mm-hmm. So wasn't able to have kids. And so at twenty nine, she just like, hey, you know, I want to have a family. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do the marriage thing. I don't know if that's going to work for me. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to adopt and found this agency in Georgia that specialized at that time. I mean, this was 1984 mm-hmm. of working with single parents and found this place. And so put, did you know, the paperwork and got approved in November of 1984. Mm-hmm. And they told her, okay, it's going to probably be, you know, three to six months. I was supposed to go to a different family. One of them lost their jobs and I mm-hmm. and I was born three days after Christmas. Okay. So I was earmarked to go to this family in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't work out. So they called my mom, and I was a month early. And they're like, "We know that you just got approved, but are you just like bring him up? Yeah, let's do it." And mm-hmm. so you know, I got here January twelfth, so about you know yeah, a, week, a few weeks old. A few weeks old, yeah. and she was just she was so tenacious about everything and just a fighter and quirky, but really, really, really just like did intentional things like that elementary school. I told you we went to like, she picked that neighborhood because she had done research and found out this was a pretty diverse neighborhood. So I want that for my kids. Mm. And so adopted two other kids and then about kindergarten, she had had diabetes from age 11 Mm. But by the time I finished kindergarten, she also had acquired liver disease, mm. chronic liver disease, and so was forced to retire mm. on disability. So really from most of my life, she was ailed with illness and was in and out of the hospital and stuff, but never, always was just a constant just fighter with it. Mm. And, you know, she always told me as the oldest, she's like, I don't know what the future holds, but I want to make it so I see all three of my kids at least graduate high school. Mm. And she's like, that's... They, the the time frames they put on her life were... We were sat down multiple times in doctor's offices. Of, mm. Okay, you need to brace yourself, right? And so... Wow. So she was just fighter, and um, I think she was one of those ones... She told us that all she cared about for us was that we were productive, happy... And, and successful in whatever endeavor we did. Mm-hmm. So she never put confines around. Like when I said, I want to be a teacher in second grade, she's like, go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, when my sister at five was like, I want to be a veterinarian, she's like, go do it. It wasn't, mm, you're probably not, you know, you're right. not great with science and, and all that, and you you get grossed out, so probably not. The, but it was always, go do it, right? right? And, you know, when I'm like, I'm going to do band most of my family was like, well, that's a hobby, mm-hmm. not a career. Right. And she was like, go do it. So I just always valued her ability to really, she saw us as people. Mm-hmm. And while she was a realist, she was also like, if this is what you want to go do, go go for it. Mm-hmm. And so and it, she was just so dynamic. I think that was the word that I would use for her. And mm. funny and... Yeah, it just made a huge impression. Hmm. What was your reaction the first time you were sat down in the doctor's office saying, brace yourself? So that would have been, I was sixth grade. So and like 12 years old. 12 years, 12 years old. old, yeah. Yeah, and so my brother would have been 11 and my sister would have been nine. You know, bad issues. And at that point, we'd already been, I had already been taught, like, here's how to read all of her diabetic machines like Mm -hmm. here's here's what this means here's what this means if Mm -hmm. her blood sugar is at this you need to call like i've been kind of coached through those things as the oldest kid Mm -hmm. 
And so that was the first time that it was like, I remember it vividly. It was April of my sixth grade year. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, probably not a long life ahead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, they pretty much said, you know, the end is here. Mm -hmm. And then she kicked out and, and made it through. And then right before eighth grade was another severe one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, they sat us down and they're like, this is grave. Mm -hmm. Well, then she made it another almost decade, you know, and then there was two or three other times throughout high school and then college where it was like, okay, this is it. This is it. It, it, So for me, you know, the, the first time that you asked about, it was kind of one of those, I don't want to say I'm wise beyond my years, but I, I kind of grew up kind of fast just because mm. of those circumstances, right. you know? So I was just like, okay, life is precious mm. and let's love and live every day because we don't know what tomorrow brings, right. right? In any sense, whether somebody's sick or the healthiest person ever, we have no idea what tomorrow brings. Right. So I always just sort of uh, adopted the philosophy of like, let's live for today. Like, let's mm. make today the best day that it can be. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of how that went. I, I just imagine that being a, a a rude awakening, I guess. Hey, prepare, brace, yep. brace for this. This is this yep. is going to be rough, maybe. Especially, I mean, you were adopted by a single mother. Yep. What did that mean to you and your your siblings at that point? You know, from, if if she would have passed, on if she would have passed, yeah. you know, aunts and uncles would have stepped in. Mm-hmm. And once again, it goes back to I told you, like I was that protector right right? i was given that charge to protect people Mm. from a very young age Mm. so i was very much even at 12 even at 14 just like okay you know with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles okay what's the plan yeah don't sugarcoat things for me just like tell me what's going on Mm. because i'm i'm the protector person and so i took that like i said that never sort of went away so even Mm. At 12 and 14, it became instantly, okay, what does that mean Mm. for my siblings? What does that mean, you know, for my sister, who's at that point nine, right? you know, 11? Like, what does that mean? How is she going to deal with? So I I, I did a lot of just like, okay, we make sure that she's okay. Right. Make sure that my brother's okay. Yeah. So now as you stand today as the patriarch of your family. Yeah. How does that relationship with your sisters look? Are you are you still looked up to as the protector? Or yeah, you, you know, yeah. I'm the oldest grandchild of mm. in our family, of the whole family, yeah. the whole family. So I'm like, I'm you know, oldest kid, oldest grandchild. Mm-hmm. So you know, I take that very like I'm the one who almost daily texts, chains oh, right. everybody. Okay, how are things? I don't know if I was just born into that or if I just latched on to mm-hmm. that role at a really young age of no, this is who I'm going to be because hmm. years later I'm still, I'm still doing it and I love it. You know, I love right. being that person. You embrace that role. I do. Hmm. I think you feel it very well. Well, thank you. So, yeah. That's really cool. What other words of wisdom or advice do you have for me and for anyone else that, you know, something that's really important to you that you'd like to get out there? You know, I just, I, I guess I just believe so, so strongly and that in the world that we live in now, it's like I have said it multiple times, but I think it's so easy to be negative mm-hmm. about people, about where people come from, about people's beliefs, about that's just the world that we live in. Like you can't say or do anything without 
somebody trying to belittle it or mm. question it. Mm. Anything. I could post right now that I'm going to go into McDonald's after this, and somebody instantly would post something negative that McDonald's is doing in the world, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could say that, hey, I'm going to this movie. Well, did you know, that, like, we just live in a world right now, and right or wrong, that there's so many things that can be argued and debated mm-hmm. that um, I think that it's made people afraid to put themselves out there yeah. and connect with people. And so I guess for me, it's not to be afraid of that Mm. and to, you know, there's people who have posted things that I've just deleted because I'm like, you know, and I'll have a conversation with them. Like, Hey, I deleted this Mm -hmm. and here's why, but we can have this conversation, but we're not going to have this public. Let's have a sit and have a conversation. Like, let's sit down and just talk about it. But I mean, I think for people not to be afraid to lean in to other humans, Mm. we're hardwired for human connection. We are. And Mm. so I think every single thing that Mr. Rogers taught us is more relevant now than ever before. And I think the reason the documentary about him and the movie that Tom Hanks are, are captivating people is because it's touching on that thing that we've lost, which is connection. And so I think just not being afraid of it, and it doesn't need to be visceral, and it doesn't need to be spiteful. It's just, it's the most beautiful thing ever. I have friends of every belief system on the planet, and I love it. Yeah. Because I get to learn from all of these different things. I've got friends and family who are diverse in every way possible, Mm -hmm. but I love it because I'm the one who gets to gain from it. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, I think just looking at things through a lens of, once again, what can I learn from this person, place, situation, or environment is just so powerful. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know how inspiring that is, but I know, I just know that that's, that's the way that I choose to live my life every day. Like what, I have a journal where I write down something new, a new thought or a new insight, Mm -hmm. and I just write it down every single night and sometimes it's a sentence sometimes it's a word sometimes it's more than that but mm-hmm. getting in that habit has forced me to look at the world through the lens of what can i learn yeah. and it's been it's been awesome so is that the, the the focus of your journal is what did i learn today or is it sometimes it's just cool things like uh-huh. when i meet those when i meet cool people at these different i mean last year i saw over twelve thousand kids which is a you know that's to be able to memorize, remember every single thing. But if I have a really cool conversation with a kid or an adult mm-hmm. or a parent or whomever, I try to remember it and write it down. Because mm. now it's cool. I've been doing this for two years now to go back and be like, hey, two years ago on this day, what mm-hmm. did I learn? Right. Who did I meet? It's just like, wow, like, look how much I've learned. So there's like a tangible now, like mm. cool takeaway thing that um but no it's it's an all-inclusive thing but the one thing that i've at least committed to is to write down one thing that i've learned that day even if it's there's some trivia just trivial things like okay don't don't put red shirts in with whites right (laughs) (laughs) uh make sure you read the like read the instruction sometimes it's Mm -hmm. just trivial things like that that's just kind of funny but Mm -hmm. to me it's like hey this is something on this day that i experienced that I can apply in a future day. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. I found that journaling is super powerful. I love it. I love it. 
And, you know, some days I feel like I'm just journaling a travelogue and it's like, eh, yeah, who cares about this? One, my thing for every day yeah. is the last sentence I always say, I'm grateful today for. I love that. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's very trivial and sometimes it's super meaningful, yeah. you know. But it, that's that's made a huge difference in my life. I, you know, and I think one of the things that I tell people is that uh, tell people in your life, you know, that you, you care about them because and I say that gratitude is going out of style, mm. but it, it really it's the most popular thing ever if we just embrace it. And so I love that, like what yeah. I'm grateful for. So before we close this up, is there any other experience in your life, any story that you that you feel is important to get out there? Um, we talk about, you know, not being perfect. Mm-hmm. I think the story that I, it's fun for me, it's for me, it's funny now, but it's when I first connected with my biological mother. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, this was after my mother died and it had nothing to do with that. It was just how it worked out. But, mm-hmm. found, but you know, went to this agency. It took six months to find out how to do that. Mm-hmm. And they make you write this non-identifying letter. So I can't say, Hey, I went to, Eastern Washington University. Mm-hmm. I went to college. Right. Um, I can't say my brother and sister's name. I just, I have a brother and sister, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote this letter and whatever, and it was in November. And they said, okay, well, we don't do anything around the holidays. Mm-hmm. We won't really get started with this until January. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of put it out of mind, you right. know, because I really, they sort of coach you to expect the worst, mm-hmm. that this is not going to work. But you you know, think positively. Mm-hmm. So I remember when the woman called me and said, Hey, we found your mom. And mm-hmm. it was like the, you ex- you're expecting like an Oprah moment, just this big, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it was just, Hey, here's her name. Here's her phone number. She's excited to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Call her. And so it was the next day that I called her. So mm-hmm. it was March 17th, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so she's in Georgia, which is three hours ahead of us. So mm-hmm. I'm going to wait until two thirty our time which is 5.30 mm-hmm. their time because it works a nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. The average person has a 20-minute drive between work and home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would yeah. coincide. The last thing I wanted to do was leave a voicemail. And I am not – I don't get rattled by public speaking. I don't mm-hmm. get I don't get rattled by much. Like I'm okay. a pretty just like calm, even-keeled person. Like it takes mm-hmm. a lot to rattle me, but that – I did not want to leave a, like a voicemail. Right. So they gave me two phone numbers for her. So the first number called and you know, hearts just like beating out of my chest. Yeah. Didn't just rang and rang and rang. So I'm like, okay, this number is not good. So I called the other number and it rang and rang and rang. And then it went to a voicemail and I left the world's, I, I guarantee if there was a Guinness book of world records for it, it would be in it. The world's most awkward voicemail. <laughs> Of wow. all time. I mean, I think it was like, hi, Shirley. Um, um, <laughs> this is your son. I, it was so awkward. Yeah. And I, I don't even remember all the things that I said in it, but I, I know I ended it with like, if you never want to call me because of this, I would, I completely understand. Because it was so, it was, and I hung up, I'm like, what is that? Like, yeah. what? It was so awkward. And you wanted to redo probably right away. Oh, completely. Yeah. But I'm just like, well, I you talk about first impressions. Right, right. That was just and then she called me five minutes later and it was like oh. it's awesome, right? But yeah. like that moment in which I felt like I was the biggest failure mm. ever. 
is now one of just like it's a funny story that we we get to share now and tell and it once again it humanizes me because when i speak at schools people are you say that so effortlessly and i'm like great yeah but you need to know like here's a classic moment which is now the funniest thing ever right but at the time so I always think about that, too, you know, and when people tell me, like, hey, I'm scared about something or I'm nervous about something, I'm like, okay, well, here's a time that I can directly tell you about. Yeah. So you connected with your birth mother. Yep. And you had that crazy, funny, yep. awkward yeah. experience. And and you said everything is now great. Yeah, huh? yeah. So I've been down there twice. I'm going mm-hmm. back this December and... So I've just so now I have a Georgia family too. So making connect additional family connections. That, yeah, uh, just yeah. strengthens things. Yeah, and it's just like never being around genetics mm-hmm. till you're 31 years old. Mm. Like it's a trip. Wow, you don't know what that's not like until all of a sudden you're thrust into a situation where it's like I share genetics with this entire room of eight people, which I've never which I've never experienced right. one day in my entire life, and when you're all sharing similar mannerisms and never have been around each other. It's it's a trip. Mm. It's a that trip. Would be, that would be crazy. That would be fun. Especially if you could extract yourself from it and kind of look at it from a third party as you're in it. Yeah, no, there are some times where I would just sit there and be like, wow. I remember at one point my mother, myself, and her brother were all sitting on, the, on like this couch. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we're all just conversing, and then at one point, I just like stop and like observe because I love observing people. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even myself, and I'm like, we're all sitting the exact same way, huh. and I get that that happens a lot. But it was just one of those things of like, wow, like <laughs> this is real. This it, is real. Yeah, super cool. And I mean, does that give you? So one of the things that I I often wonder. So I, I talked to a guy. And had a conversation, a podcast conversation yeah. with a guy that uh, really didn't know his parents at mm-hmm. all, didn't know his grandparents, and and he said he felt like just kind of floating there. You know, yeah. there there was no connection. And when your adoptive mother mm-hmm. passed away, yeah. I I would imagine that even though you had aunts and uncles and these these people, that you may have felt kind of disconnected. hundred percent, because my mom was my direct link mm-hmm. to to our family, right? Yeah. And so. So there was definitely that, like, yeah, I'm still in the family, but that direct connection mm-hmm. has been severed. Yeah. Not badly, but just she's not there. It's just different now. And yeah. so a lot of those stories of, hey, when you were little, hey, I remember this about you, mm-hmm. go away. Yeah. Your aunts and uncles can share from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Your grandparents can share from your perspective. But the person who saw you every single day, mm-hmm. hey, when you were three, this happened. Hey, yeah. Those just vanish. Mm-hmm in an instant, right? And so you lose a little bit of that. And so now you, you, you hear about it kind of from the periphery, but now it's, you know, now that I've connected with this, with my Georgia family, mm-hmm. why well, they don't have those stories mm-hmm. of me, right. but they have stories of the, the global family, right? You know, Hey, your family were sharecroppers mm-hmm. getting to see all of that. Like, okay, this is where I come from. Right. So you've got roots, I've got roots. Yeah. So now it's like I kind of have this full landscape now uh-huh. of, you know, who am I? It's like, okay, there's all, I have a lot more puzzle pieces now, Yeah, which is just awesome. That's super cool, man. Man, this has been so much fun, James. I, I loved it. 
it's awesome. I think that I could sit down with you and have a follow up on yeah. this in a few months because yeah, I think there's some there's some really cool things that we could even dig deeper on. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's been super meaningful for it's, me. I've loved it. Yeah, I've very loved cool. It. Well, thanks a lot, James. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you have it. As you, if you listened through, heard, there are some amazing one-liners in this. Now, I've used several of them already in the last couple of weeks since I've had this conversation with James in my conversations with other people. One of them is the, is silence is where you create the story in your head. Man, such a powerful thought. If I am stewing over something somebody else has said or done or that I've perceived that they've said or done and I'm not willing to go talk to them about it and I just sit there in silence, that story that I'm creating in my head is just getting worse and worse and I am thinking that person is a worse and worse person every single minute that I do that. And that silence is where I create that story in my head. And then when I break the silence, almost every time I'm going to find out that I am totally overblowing the situation. Now, another one that I've used several times is about how he talks about a conversation starting in the armpit and going all the way to the fingertips and making sure that I need to listen all the way to the fingertips and then ask clarifying questions. I mean, those were two phrases that just knocked me off my feet. And I'm so grateful that I've had this conversation with James, and I hope that it was meaningful to you too. Now on to a beautiful In Their Own Words segment where James reads a poem that his mother wrote about him when he was five or six years old. This is James Lehman, and I am going to read a poem that my mother wrote about me. It actually hangs up in my bedroom, and it's it's a pretty poignant poem that she wrote about me when I was five or six years old. She understood me in ways that other people didn't, and on the podcast, we talked a lot about how I'm an introvert and how I'm... You know, I tend to watch and analyze and things of that nature. Well, my mom captured that in this poem that she wrote about me when I was five or six. So I'm going to read it. So the poem is written by Deborah Lehman, and it is called Quiet Son. So here we go. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one. It hurts to be the prodigal oxymoron. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, you squeak no wheels, so receive few acknowledgments. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, I focus intensely on you, but let you know so seldom. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, you shout wordlessly for notice for more tangible love. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, I hear those cries seeping out in the lonely darkness. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, so full of worry, so needing reassurance. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, placid to the world, churning in your head. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, you are looked at over and over with adoration. Oh, my quiet son, the overlooked one, wish that you could see me gazing. So, yeah, that poem, I mean, it captures so much um, about me. And like I said, my mom wrote that when I was five or six. So, you know, 28, 29 years ago. 
Yeah, and it just it, it's profound because I it took me a while to to stumble upon it. I didn't find it until after she had passed, and then I got it printed and, and framed, and now it's on my wall. And so all those years of being in my head and and she had written that and realized those profound things about me when I was five or six years old. So it's a powerful poem. I love it because my mom wrote it about me specifically. And it's just another uh, gaze into who I am and just a wonderful privilege to uh, hear my mom's writings specifically when she was healthy. So that's a poem by my mom. So thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoyed it. Oh, I totally enjoyed it. And I hope that you, the listener, also got something out of this. It was a very awakening conversation for me to have with James today. Now, if you or somebody you know and love has a story to tell, if you are an ordinary person with an extraordinary story and would just like to sit down and have this conversation with me, I would love to hear from you. Just go to jtlpod.com and find the contact us area and uh, share your story, uh, share your contact information so then you can share your story. Also, if you have any of these in their own words stories that you would like to submit to possibly be read at a future time when we may not have stories submitted by the person who I'm having the conversation with, that would also be fantastic. I just love hearing stories, poems, just experiences of people who have lived before us so that we can connect to them, so our hearts can turn to them and we can feel their hearts turn to us. It's a super exciting, super meaningful thing, I believe. Anyways, thank you once again for your listening to the Journey Through Life podcast. Have a fantastic week. Thank mm-hmm. you.